Welcome to A.T. Stewart and Sons Ministries. I'm your host, A.T. Stewart. I'm glad you've chosen to join us today as we look into the Word of God. So take your Bibles and let's hang out in God's Word for a few moments and see what God would say to us today. They became known as the Lost Battalion of World War One. Books have been written about their adventure. Movies have been made about the adversity they experienced. Germany invaded France, and the French appealed to the United States for help. So we as a nation sent our army over to help the French. And the 7th, 7th, 77th Division of our army was in France in 1918, and they were given the responsibility of rooting out the Germans who had taken a stronghold in the Argarne Forest there in France. On October the 2nd, the 77th Division began to make its attack against the German forces in the Argarne Forest. The French were on the right flank, and some other troops were on the left flank. But because of delays, the troops on the right and the left did not advance as far as the division, the lost division, in the middle. And so they got separated from their troops and got surrounded by the Germans. Their radio uh, had been destroyed, and the fellow who operated the radio had been killed. And so during those days of World War I, radios were known to be somewhat unreliable, and so as a backup, they used carrier pigeons. And so the uh, division, the 77th Division, was pinned down, they were encircled by the German forces. They had only taken one day's worth of rations because they thought they'd be there and back. And their commanding officer, a Major Whittlesey, dispatched the carrier pigeon with a message back to headquarters of where they were and what had happened. But unknowing to him, the Germans shot down the carrier pigeon. And so a day passed, a night passed. They were continually under fire from the Germans, and there was no relief. And Major Whittlesey couldn't understand why they were not getting some help from their forces. One day turned into two days. The food was gone. Their water supply was gone. Uh, they began to have to try to, to pillage the ones who had died and try to find out if they had anything in their belongings. Ammunition was getting low. Take their ammunition and see if they had anything to eat in their packs. So things were looking fairly serious and, and dire. On the third day in the afternoon, they were getting to a place of, of desperation. They thought things could not get worse. But little did they realize that back at headquarters, the commanding officers didn't even know if the 77th Division still existed, if they had been all destroyed. 
all of headquarters knew for certain was that the German troops were in this general area. And so they decided to send the artillery and bomb the German troops. What they actually began to do was send the artillery on the 77th Division. And they began to receive the artillery. There they were, separated from headquarters, unable to communicate. And because of a lack of communication, they were being bombed and artillery shelled by their own forces. This story points up how crucial it is that we maintain communication with headquarters in our spiritual warfare. You can be a fully equipped soldier, a fully trained soldier, willing to fight. But if your communication with headquarters gets interrupted, you are in trouble. And so it's no surprise that when Paul finishes talking about the spiritual armor that we must put on, that he now talks about the importance of staying connected with headquarters. Take your Bibles and turn over to Ephesians chapter 6. And we'll read together, and I'll read verses 10 through 18. And our focus today is on verse 18. In respect for the Word of God, let me ask you to stand as I read. Finally, be strong in the Lord. And in the strength of His might, put on the full armor of God so that you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all taking up the shield of faith, with which you'll be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. With all prayer and petition, praying at all times in the Spirit, And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. You may be seated. We're talking about prayer as a way of talking to God. Keeping the lines of communication open. Telling Him our needs and concerns. Prayer is our way of releasing God's power into our situation. Soldiers communicate with headquarters for the purpose of sending in airstrikes or artillery strikes. They radio in and tell headquarters the coordinates of which to send in the strike or the force. That's their way of bringing in additional power to the struggle. Prayer is our way of bringing God's power into our spiritual battles. When King Hezekiah needed to bring God's power into his situation, he resorted to prayer. Sennacherib, who was king of Assyria, 
had already defeated many of the forces in the Middle East, and now he had his sights on Judah. And he sent a letter to King Hezekiah basically saying, Don't trust your God to take care of you, because the gods of these other nations hasn't taken care of them, and your God's not going to be able to take care of you. I am going to utterly destroy you. And King Hezekiah knew he was far outnumbered. He knew it was humanly impossible for him to defeat Sennacherib and his forces. And so he took the letter that was sent by Sennacherib and he went into the temple and he laid it before the Lord and he prayed and asked God to be his steadfast strength. He asked God to be his protector. He called on God to move in and rescue the nation of Israel, from annihilation. And though this was a physical battle, be certain there were spiritual dimensions and a spiritual war at work as well. For if Sennacherib could destroy the nation of Judah, he could keep the Messiah from coming forth. And therefore, with no Messiah, no Lord Jesus, you and I would be eternally doomed. And so the Scripture says that One night, God sent a destroying angel to the armies of Sennacherib as they slept. And the angel killed that night 185,000 of Sennacherib's troops. Sennacherib woke up that morning seeing the devastation that had been wrought on his forces, turned tail, and went back to Assyria. God moved in through the believing prayer of King Hezekiah. Paul says that prayer is vital to our success in our spiritual war. But not just any kind of praying will do. Paul says it must be praying in the Spirit. See what he says in verse 18. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. The Spirit. Now, it's possible to pray in the flesh. You can say a blessing before a meal in the flesh. You can have a prayer you say at night that you've memorized before you go to bed at night in the flesh. There's no difficulty in uttering a few words in the flesh. But this is not the type of praying that Paul says we need To release the power of God into our spiritual situation. We need to pray in the Spirit. Now today I'm going to tell you three things that praying in the Spirit is. First, it is Spirit-motivated praying. Secondly, it is Spirit-empowered praying. And then thirdly, it is Spirit-directed praying. First, praying in the Spirit is Spirit-motivated praying. Over in Ephesians 5.18, Paul says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, the word filled means to be controlled. It was used in Paul's day when somebody would get so angry, they would be so filled with anger that that anger would just take over. 
Maybe you've had that situation happen to you before when you just got so angry, it's just like you lost control and the anger took over. That you're controlled by that anger. This is the word that was used. We're to be controlled moment by moment by the Spirit of God. To be filled with the Holy Spirit means we surrender moment by moment to the Lordship of Jesus in our lives. That we look to the Holy Spirit to lead us, to guide us all day, every day. We walk in obedience to the Lord of the Word and to the Word of the Lord. And as we do so, we are controlled, filled by the Holy Spirit. And as we're filled by the Holy Spirit, He motivates us. And one of the ways and areas in which He motivates us is in the area of prayer. And so, Holy Spirit-motivated praying is praying in the Spirit. You may be thinking, well, how does the Holy Spirit motivate me to pray, preacher? Let me tell you. First, He motivates us to pray by burdening us about someone or some situation. There's just this concern, this heaviness that is in our heart towards someone. You've probably had that happen to you. You don't know why, but they're just on your mind. And they're just on your heart. And you just, you'd feel a heaviness about this person. Well, that's the Holy Spirit. Motivating, moving you, burdening you so you will pray for that person. Maybe you get burdened to pray for the soldiers in Iraq. Or maybe for their families. Well, you need to stop and pray when you're burdened like this. This is the Holy Spirit moving in your heart. You just can't get them off your mind. You just, they just are constantly with you that day. And you think, I just don't know why I can't get this person off my mind. Well, that's the Holy Spirit saying, pray. I want you to pray for that person. I'm burdening you to stir your heart to remember them in prayer. Over in Matthew 18, verse 19, Jesus says, Again, I say to you, If two of you agree on earth about anything that they may ask, it shall be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. Now, you see that word, agree? Now, that doesn't just mean that I come up to you and say, okay, I want you to agree with me about something and let's pray. Now, that's not what it means. The word agree, we get an English word from that, Greek word, and the English word is symphony. To sound together is literally what the Greek word means. What's a symphony? A symphony is composed of many different instruments, but they're all playing together. They're all sounding together. Not only are they all on the same page, but they're on the same measure. And not only are they all on the same measure, but they're on the same beat. All these different instruments, all playing on the same beat to make a beautiful sound, a symphony. And when Jesus says, if two agree on earth, He's saying if two people's hearts are sounding together like a symphony, same page, same measure, same beat, if the Holy Spirit has burdened both of your hearts together, to pray for this matter, then you pray and you can be certain God is going to answer. 
Why? Because it's Holy Spirit motivated praying. He has burdened your hearts together. You're in common oneness. You're sounding together in your spirit to the Lord about this matter. Several years ago, when we were on one of our Romania mission trips, we stopped our first leg of the journey, took us to Amsterdam, where we were to train, change planes and then go on to, to Budapest. When we got on the plane in Amsterdam, it was about 9 o'clock in the morning, and as we were taking off, and we'd gotten up a good ways, but we hadn't leveled off yet, all of a sudden, I heard this noise that sounded like a clogged up engine. And the plane kind of started shaking. And Butch Solomon was there, and he travels a lot. So I looked over at him and see if he was scared or not, and I figured... He wasn't scared. I didn't need to be scared. He didn't look that scared, so I figured, well, maybe this is normal. Well, about five minutes later, the pilot comes on the intercom, and he says, we're going to have to go back and land because we have taken in some birds into our right jet engine, and it has stopped working. So we circled and came back down and landed. Now, I didn't realize at the time how dangerous that situation could have been. A week or so after that, uh, we had a fellow visit in our church who was an engineer for Delta. And we were telling him about it. And he told us that not too long ago from that time, a similar thing had happened to a jet just like that one. And what the actually caused to happen in that jet was some of the blades in the jet engine came loose and flew into the fuselage, killing some people in the cabin. So when we came back from our trip to Romania, and I was sharing about that and what happened to us, some of you came up to me afterwards and said, You know, preacher, what time was that? I said, Well, nine in the morning, which would have been about four in the morning here. God woke me up at four o'clock and burdened me to pray for you all. Now, I had a couple of people come up and say that. You, you remember who you were probably. That God had stirred your heart. He had burdened you. Now, that's Holy Spirit motivated praying. And God used those prayers to protect us and give us a safe journey. Hallelujah. So, the first kind of praying that the Holy Spirit motivates you through is by burdening you. Now, secondly, he also motivates us by showing us a need for which to pray. Now, this is not so much of a burden as a recognition that there is a need and we should pray about that need. For instance, we need to pray for our commanding officers, for our generals in the spiritual warfare. Paul tells us, First of all, then, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgiving be made on behalf of all men, for kings and all those who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. And so it's a recognition that we should pray for those in leadership. So you don't have to be burdened to know that the Holy Spirit would want you to pray for those in leadership, whether it be in our government or whether it be in the church. We need to pray. 
Another thing is we need to pray for reinforcements. The 77th Division drastically needed reinforcements. We need to pray for reinforcements in our spiritual war as well. Jesus said, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, beseech your Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into His harvest. So we recognize there's a need for more laborers in the harvest. Therefore, the recognition of this need should lead us to pray that God would thrust out laborers into His harvest. And so the Holy Spirit motivates us to pray by burdening us. Secondly, by just showing us a need that we need to pray about. And then thirdly, He motivates us by showing us a scripture that He would have us to pray, perhaps about a certain situation. I remember reading in Psalm 68, Let God arise, let His enemies be scattered. Let those who hate Him flee before Him. As smoke is driven away, so drive them away. As wax melts before the fire, so let the wicked perish before God. As I was reading that scripture one day, I sensed the Holy Spirit would want me to take that scripture and use it as a warfare prayer against the forces of evil that were attacking me and this church at that time. And so I just turned it into a prayer and said, God, arise. God, let those demonic forces that want to attack me and my family in this church be scattered. Let them flee before you, God. Drive them away like smoke is driven away before the wind. And you've all been at a campfire and seen the smoke and the wind just drive it right away. I said, God, cause them to move as wax melts before the fire. Lord, let them perish. And so God may take a scripture and just motivate you to pray that scripture back to Him. And so praying in the Spirit is, first of all, Spirit-motivated praying. Secondly, it is Holy Spirit-empowered praying. In Acts 1.8, Jesus, right before He ascended into heaven, said, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. The Holy Spirit is our source of power. As we yield to the Holy Spirit, as we surrender to His Lordship in our life, as we are controlled moment by moment, By Him, He empowers us to pray. Now, when the Holy Spirit empowers us to pray, there will be a fervor, there will be a holy heat in our praying. Now, this heat, this fervor, is not emotionalism, but rather it is Holy Spirit-generated confidence and boldness As we approach God. Over in Hebrews chapter 10. The writer of Hebrews talks about the confidence and the boldness. That is given by the Holy Spirit in prayer. 
He says, therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place, and he's talking about the very presence of God, by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh. You see, when we pray in the Spirit, we come into the presence of holiness. We come into the presence of a holy God. Yet how can you and I, who are sinful, come into the presence of a holy God? I mean, how can you and I, who fall and slip every day, expect to come into the presence of absolute perfect holiness? The right of Hebrews says, not only can we come into the presence of holiness, but we can come in with boldness. Through the blood of Jesus. That's the key. The blood of Jesus. It's the blood of Jesus that covers our sin. And when you go in the Spirit into the presence of God, He doesn't see your sin. You know what He sees? He sees the blood of Jesus. He sees the perfect, absolute righteousness of Jesus. And therefore, you can come with confidence. Not in yourself. No. There's no confidence in us. But you can come in confidence in the blood of Christ and what His death accomplished for us. This word confidence was used in Paul's day again of the confidence that a Roman citizen would have to appeal to his government. Help you understand it. Put yourself in this situation. You're over in Hungary. And you're having a problem. And you need some help. And so you see the Russian embassy down the street. And you think, well, let me see if I can get some help there. And so you walk up to the gate and there's an armed, Roman soldier, uh, armed Russian soldier standing there at the gate of the Russian embassy. Now, what kind of confidence, what kind of boldness are you going to have to demand that this Russian soldier let you in to the Russian embassy, which is considered Russian soil. What kind of boldness are you going to have? Not much. But, say the American embassy, you see it down the road. See that American flag flying. So you walk down to the American embassy, and you go up to the gate, and the Marine is standing there, and you have your American passport in your hand. Now, what kind of confidence, what kind of boldness can you approach this Marine to let you into this American embassy because you need hope and you need help? Absolute confidence, can't you? I'm an American citizen. This is American soil. Let me in. I need help. You can come with boldness and confidence. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying, that you and I as Christians have a godly right to be in the throne room of God because of what Jesus has accomplished for us. He's made us citizens in heaven. We can come with boldness. We can come in confidence to His very throne room. Not only do we come in confidence and boldness, but we can come knowing that we have a sympathetic high priest who will hear our prayer and understand. Hebrews chapter 4. 
says, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who's been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence, same word, boldness, to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Because Jesus, the one who is interceding for us, has been tempted in all things as we have, who understands exactly what we're going through, we can be sure He's sympathetic. And we can go to Him in confidence knowing He's going to hear our prayer and He's going to give us the grace we need and the mercy we need in our time of adversity, in our time of difficulty. And so there's that boldness. There is that that confidence in praying that is in the Spirit. Also, there is a persistence. There's a perseverance as we pray in the Spirit. Paul mentions that in verse 18. Be on the alert with all perseverance. There's a vigilance, a persistence, a steadfastness in our praying. That we don't give up. That we don't quit. We continue praying until God gives us the answer either in our hand. In other words, we can see the answer or He's given us the assurance in our heart that the answer is there. Her name was Rose Brown. She was Terry and I's next door neighbor when I pastored the church in Phoenix City, Alabama. She called me up one day and she said, Preacher, I want the deacons to pray for me. I said, What's going on, Rose? She said, I went to the doctor and he found this mass in my abdomen region. And he's convinced it's cancer and he wants to do surgery. I said, Well, when is he going to do the surgery? She said, Well, he wanted to do it immediately, like on Friday. But he's secretary told me he was going out of town for the weekend, and I told her I didn't want him operating on me on Friday and going out of town that day. So let's wait until the next week. So she said, I know you all having a deacon's meeting Sunday night, and I'd like for you to anoint me with oil and pray for me. I said, we'll be glad to. So at the deacon's meeting that Sunday night, Rose was there. Her husband was one of the deacons. So we gathered around her, we anointed her with oil, and we began to pray. Now, that room, folks, got hot. I mean, there was a holy heat in that room. I heard deacons praying like they'd never prayed before. I mean, there was a holy boldness in their praying. I knew it wasn't of these guys. I mean, I just sensed in my spirit, this is the Spirit of God moving in these guys. This is praying in the Spirit. And we prayed for her, and we prayed for her, and we prayed for her, and it got warm in there. And we prayed, and then when the Holy Spirit told us it was time to stop, we brought it to a conclusion. She went back to the doctor on Monday for her pre-op. The doctor was feeling around, and he didn't feel anything. He took an x-ray. He came back in, and he said, I don't understand it. He had the x-ray up where the mass was there, and he had the other x-ray, and it was gone. He said, I don't understand it. She said, I do. She said, I understand it. 
And she told him about our prayer time we had on Sunday. I was talking to Rose about it. I said, Rose, tell me what was going on inside of you while we were praying. She said, you know, preacher, I just felt like electricity went through my body. Now, that's praying in the Spirit, folks. That Spirit-empowered praying. The Spirit moved in, empowered with boldness and a holy fervor to pray for her healing. So praying in the Spirit is not only Spirit-motivated praying, it is not only Spirit-empowered praying, but it is also Spirit-directed praying. The Holy Spirit directs us to pray according to God's will. Now, obviously, the Holy Spirit is not going to direct you to pray in a way that's contrary to the will of God, will He? 1 John 5 tells us, This is the confidence which we have before Him. That if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And we know that if He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests which we've asked from Him. The Holy Spirit directs us to pray according to the will of God. Now, there are several ways that He may guide you to pray according to God's will. He may lead you to a promise that you need to claim. Over 25 years ago, There was this couple that I was good friends with, and their marriage was going downhill quickly. They were at the verge of divorce. And as I was praying for them, this word from Jesus out of Mark 10, 9 came to my mind. Wherefore, therefore, those whom God has joined together... Let no man separate. And I knew God had joined them together because I had been there and performed the ceremony. And I said, God, it's not your will that they be separated. I'm going to pray and claim that your spirit is going to work in their marriage in a way that they will not be divorced. Over 25 years has passed, and they have had some difficult times since then still, but they're still together. They're still together. So the Holy Spirit may direct you how to pray by showing you a scripture verse or a promise that you need to claim. Philippians 4.19, a promise. My God shall supply all your needs according to His riches and glory in Christ. Again, it may be that you need to pray that scripture, that promise over your situation. It may be He'll just give you clear direction of how to pray. I remember praying for my teenagers back years ago. And as I was praying for them, I sensed the Spirit directing me over to 2 Timothy 2.22, which says, Now flee from youthful lust and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. So I said, Lord, I think you want me to pray this verse for my kids. It's perfect for teenagers, isn't it? Lord, enable them to flee from all youthful lust. You know, when you're young, you're just so full of energy. <laughs> Your desires and emotions are so strong. And, you know, it's so easy to be caught up in all forms of lust. Lust for fame, lust for money, uh, 
sexual lust. You know, it's it's just one of the drawbacks of youth is all that energy, all that passion. Just like Paul was telling Timothy, who was a young man, to flee from youthful lust. I said, this is what God would have me to pray for my teenagers. Lord, enable them to flee from all youthful lust and pursue, rather than pursue the lustful things, pursue righteousness and faith and love and peace. And you'd rather your teenagers be pursuing those things? Lord, give them a heart for righteousness, a heart for a faith, a desire to pursue love and peace. And notice the last part of the verse. With those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. That's praying for their peers. Lord, surround them with friends who also want to seek you like they do. Give them friends who will seek you from a pure heart. A great prayer. Let's pray for your teenagers. And so, Spirit... Praying, praying in the Spirit is Spirit-motivated praying. It is Spirit-empowered praying. It is Spirit-directed praying. Now let me give you the rest of the story. On the third day of their being surrounded by the German forces, the 77th Division that had started out with around 500 soldiers, was down to about 250. They were hungry. They were thirsty. They were low on ammunition. They had valiantly fought, valiantly fought against outrageous numbers of German soldiers surrounding them with machine guns and flamethrowers and mortars. And Major Whittlesey was just desperate. And he had one little carrier pigeon left. It was the youngest of the flock, considered to be the most unreliable. That's why they never used it. They had named this little carrier pigeon Cher Ami. But because the situation was so desperate, They were being bombed by their own forces. They took the message. They put it on this pigeon who was considered to be somewhat unreliable and sent it off. The German soldiers seeing the pigeon take off began to shoot at it. Shot one of its legs off. Its wing was broken. And also, it ended up having a bullet in its chest. But that little pigeon made it to headquarters. And headquarters got the message of where they were. And two days later, they were delivered from the German forces. And 194 of those men that became known as the Lost Battalion of World War I walked out of the Aragonne Forest in France. Now, you may feel like sometimes when you're in the heat of the battle that your prayer is like a little carrier pigeon. It's not much hope that's going to make it. But if you're lifted up in faith, I am sure that your prayer will make it to the throne room of God. 
And he will dispense his forces to aid you in your struggle. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we have that confidence through the blood of Christ. That in our battles, when they rage the heaviest, that we can lift up a prayer. And you will come to our aid. If need be, with legions of angels. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to give you an opportunity to respond today as the Holy Spirit has dealt with you. If you need to accept Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, I'd love to speak with you. Just step out and come down. You desire Jesus more than anything. You're ready to turn away from anything in your life that may not be pleasing to Him. You're willing to surrender all to Him as your Lord and Savior. If you'll step out, I'll pray with you. Maybe you just need to come and pray. Whatever it is, we want you to be obedient to the Holy Spirit as we stand and sing together.